It is early afternoon on a cold November day. The guard is being changed on the Neue Wache, the memorial to the victims of fascism and militarism in the Unter den Linden in East Berlin. The martial music hangs on the freezing air. The hand-picked young soldiers who guard the memorial slap the ground firmly in the old Prussian fashion. You do not talk of the Gustav. And the legion of Japanese tourists blow on their fingers between takes on their battery of cameras. Europe's youngest state, a direct result of the war that ended on the 8th of May 1945, has developed its own inherited traditions in its own way. The state came into being in what was previously the Russian-occupied East Zone in October 1949. Four years later, it suffered its first internal setback when a workers' strike in Berlin was put down by Russian troops and tanks. But a steady flow of people to the West was bleeding the state of some of its most essential citizens. And in August 1961, the border was closed and the Berlin Wall, one of Europe's most awe-inspiring sites, was erected. This action led, in time, to a steady growth in material prosperity and an effective, if uneasy, internal stability. Many people in the West perceived the GDR to be a repressive, claustrophobic society, militaristic and authoritarian. Most of them have never been there, have never met the people. This is an attempt to let some of those citizens speak about their day-to-day lives, their view of that other German state. First, a family in a flat in one of the high-rise flats in East Berlin off Lenin Alley, once called Stalin Alley, and called Rue de Debacle by local wits because of its grim Stalinistic aspect. It is a family of four, father, mother and two teenage sons. We got this flat five years ago. Uh, we had the chance to get this flat after entering or after becoming member of a cooperative. It's called AWG. That means Workers' Cooperative for Construction Houses. And uh, we were entering or we were becoming member in uh, 76, I think. And after three years latest, uh, everybody will get a flat if he becomes a member of this cooperative. And so we succeeded to get this flat in 79. And uh, we are paying uh, 150 marks for this flat. A month? A month. A month. Including all charges. That means including central heating, including hot water, including lift. Mm. Even the kitchen was the, the, excuse me, the mobile. The furniture of the Mm -hmm. kitchen was already there. And then (coughs) the other. Food is, a, is an important part of the cost of living. For both of you and for the two very fine, big sons you have here, very tall boys, how much would you spend roughly? I, I, I'm sure it changes from week to week, but roughly how much of your income would be spent on food for the family? Mm. For the food, uh, 200 marks. Mm-hmm. We must consider that the the basic goods, they are cheap. They are are here in GDR at a low level. And these goods like like bread, butter, meat, 
there was no change since, no, never, uh, I can't remember mm -hmm. that there was a change of price or an increase of these prices uh, uh, since existence of GDR. Of the GDR, yeah. These are the necessities of life. What of the luxuries? Foremost among them in the GDR is the family car. The head of another household explains how he acquired one. Oh, I have a car since 1978. Uh, there are some uh, trade offers for cars. You register your name there and then you wait and you get then the information from the uh, from this uh, office when you can uh, get your car, when you get this. Now, how do you work out for holidays? Uh, where do you usually go and is that expensive? <clears throat> Our holiday, or we, we make every year holiday uh, in... Uh, the north part of the GDR, we have there a lake district, and uh, we like to go there, uh, mainly in the months of July, August, when the children has holiday too. And uh, I like fishing and also a little bit water sport. And uh, we go then by car, and we have also a car one, and we live there then for sometimes for two, sometimes for three weeks in this area. Well, we have the chance to go by three ways to holidays. The first is I, I can go private, completely private, if I get a room or if I get a hotel or, or if I have friends uh, which I can visit. The second is I can go to a camp of my enterprise or another enterprise or another factory where places are free I can use. Or uh, a great possibility we have to get places for spending holidays uh, by the trade union. All the three possibilities you have and uh, until now, we used all three possibilities. One of the problems in trying to explain the cost of living in the GDR is the absence of any standard of comparison for an Irish audience. The East German mark is non-negotiable outside the state. It is no offence to export or import it. The official rate is one Ostmark to one Deutschmark. The unofficial rate is usually four to one. But that again is not an accurate yardstick, for people require Deutschmarks to buy luxury goods in the intershops where only foreign currency is accepted. Two examples give some idea of the Ostmark's purchasing power. One-fifth of a mark, 20 pfennigs, buys a train, bus or underground journey to any destination inside Berlin. And for 10 marks, one can have a meal with beer, which would cost roughly £8 in Dublin. We have heard from two established families. Life can be more difficult for the younger couple. A lot of young people who are married in our country and I think um, the state encouraged them, of course. Well, I will say something about me because um, I'm also married. I married uh, when I was 19 years old and my husband was... What, what age do you have to be before you can get married? <laughs> well, you must be 18 years old oh, yes. and then you can marry. And... Um, 
my husband was also very young and what age he was 20 <laughs> and uh, we already have a little boy a son and uh, he is three years old and um, that's why we are also such a young family i think and yes well, well now what did you get from the state in, yes, the, in the way of money and so well um, we get a lot of things uh, first of all but it is not so typical uh, we get a very nice flat we have uh, two rooms and um, well it is very comfortable and kitchen and bathroom and so on and uh, when we married we get uh, a loan uh, for marriage also it was 5000 marks and uh, because we have uh, already a child um, we only mm. must repay uh, 4000 marks uh, this means that uh, 1000 marks are cut mm -hmm. when you have one child and uh, if you had another if we had another child then another 1500 marks are cut and if, if you have you a third <laughs> third child then uh, the whole you must, you don't... You don't have to pay anything, anything back, back at all. Yes. Well, now, tell me this. What does your husband do? Well, he is uh, studying in Dresden, and... Uh, You're here, and yes. you have the baby. Now, how does this work out in practical terms? Well, I must say it is not so easy, but uh, it is not a cause to stop uh, studying when you have a child here in our country. We have a lot of young student mothers here and uh, of course it is not so easy to uh, bring this together the housework and uh, studying and the child minding the child who minds the child who's minding the child now while you're here in the university now uh, he is in a crash and i must say it is mm, very good there uh, in the beginning when he was one year old he was often ill and uh, that's why um, I must often stay at home. Mm -hmm. uh, I had to stay at home very often. And um, but now he is. He's well. Yes, he is well. In three years' time, this little boy will start his schooling. Children in our country go to school at the age of six, and they go to school for ten years. In the first. Four years, com the compulsory subjects are German language, mathematics. They have sports lessons. They're, teached in, they're taught in music, painting. I think these are the, the compulsory subjects, the most important ones. And in the fifth form, they start with Russian language. They also get lessons in history, biology, and later on then in also in chemics, in geography. They start learning English language in the seventh form. They also get lessons in physics. Well, and after 10 years, they can either apply for apprenticeship or they can go on, go on for another two years in order to prepare for a university study. We don't pay anything for going to the university. And I'm not 
quite sure, but I think that in the average, the state pays, I don't know if anybody can help me, about 30,000 marks for for one student for his study. And also your, your, um, your food is subsidized. You get meals cheap and also rooms very cheap. Yes, we get our food subsidized and we can apply for a, a place at the students' hostel if we don't come from the town where we study and then we pay 10 marks uh, per month for our place there. Another student in the Humboldt University who's going to be a tourist guide tells of extracurricular activities. Uh, most of the students work for one year in some uh, similar uh, enterprise as they will work after their studies to get some basic introduction to their uh, subject. Where did you work, for instance? I myself worked in a kindergarten, but th this has, of course, nothing to do with my future job. I'll be an interpreter. Uh, and then you attend university for four or for five years. It depends on the subject you uh, want to study. And when I uh, started my university life, we had uh, a great uh, good thing invented. That's the grant for all the students, the 215 marks for every student. Before that, uh, it depended on the income of your parents. Oh, yes, what we call a means test. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But now and there's no means test anymore. No, not anymore. And so every student has, this has these 250 marks, and this is really enough for yes. a living. Well, let's break that down. You don't have to pay any money for fees. No, not now, at all. what about your accommodation? If you come from another city or from another town, you can live in a student hostel, but here in Berlin you can have your own small apartment, and this is really cheap. A room in a student hostel costs about 10 marks, and I myself... 10 marks a month? 10 marks a month, mm. and I myself pay 20 marks for a little flat, a small flat. And then food? Food is very cheap. In the Mensa it's... In the Mensa you have to pay only 60 pfennigs per meal, but this is really nothing, you know. <laughs> so you can live comfortably inside your 250 marks yeah. a month? There is always time, uh, money for a beer, but of course, if you have special hobbies, expensive hobbies, then you have to take a job sometimes, and then it will do. But absolutely no uh, cost on your parents, or on anyone's parents now? No, not at all. But of course, most of the parents give some money to their children. Of course. Mm. And during the summer, most students do, they, um, do most students work? Yeah, during the summer, most of the students take part in the so-called students' summer. This is organized by our youth organization, such kind of a practical work, which is really of use for society as well, mostly at construction sites or in hospitals or things like, things like that. that. Yeah. <laughs> in your own case, again, what, do, what did you do? In most cases, I go around with tourists and show them our republic. To say that the GDR is renowned for its superb athletes is an understatement. In the days when the state was not recognised internationally, the athletes were called diplomats in tracksuits. Sport in the GDR is highly organised. Training uh, the sportsmen and women is a mass movement and it starts just before entering the school in kindergartens or so. And, uh, we have, in every form, we have special 
uh, lessons in sports and uh, just in the first forms uh, the best uh, talents uh, are uh, selected by uh, sport clubs or sport special sports uh, schools and uh, then they are trained in a special uh, kind of sports and uh, but uh, the others can enter a sport cl uh, sport club uh, at school or in a factory and uh, there are several competitions between the factory the districts uh, and uh, every year there is or yes every year there is a great competition between the youth and the children in the whole country the sparagiade uh, of children and youth mm -hmm. and uh, there are uh, young talent uh, talent talents uh, are rising All from the there All yes. The time, yes and uh, that's why uh, we have and there they are also selected it could be a little bit later not in the first forms a little bit later then if they are successful in such competitions and uh, then the best are selected and go to special schools i think our successes are not only a question of very good training but also a question of something as a, a team spirit would it be fair to say that that <coughs> athletics uh, is a, you know is a kind of patriotism of course it is and uh, well our patriotism is very high i think these uh, children or young people who go to special sports schools of course do much or go do much more sports lessons than others do but we also pay attention on their on good results in school as well so there is a special uh, program for them in order to achieve high results in other subjects as well and not only in sports political activity is also highly organized and from an early age at seven children join the pioneer organization and political indoctrination begins it continues in the free german youth which recruits the 14 year olds and from the Free German Youth, the Communist Party selects and tests the most likely candidates for membership at 18. And then you go to the party group and party uh, leadership of the well, factory or the collective you work in or you learn or study. And then your uh, question is discussed, your work is discussed, your work in the past. Uh, your results in work or in study mm -hmm. and then this party group and the well, party leadership will uh, decide whether you are um, you're whether ready to be accepted yes, you're, yes into the and party yes and then you get two sponsors who are already members of the party and if you are then, if the, then you can become a candidate of the party, and you have one year, and in this year, you have to show in your work that you are worth being member of the party. You get a a, a certain 
tasks to do and yes, certain tasks yes, and you are to observed. Do, yes. And after mm -hmm. that year, if they think that you did your work very well, then you can become a member. Of, then you become a member of the party. And after you become a member of the party, you have certain obligations then, all the time. Well, you then work then work really starts. <laughs> But life has its lighter side in a society often portrayed as grey. A student tells of a night's entertainment and remembered that her monthly grant is 250 marks a month. The official rate for an East German mark would be roughly 30 pence. I think for a theatre ticket I would have to pay about 5 marks. It depends on the play, but I think 5 marks. And then a bottle of wine and a good meal, another 10 marks. And this will do. That's 15 marks for mm -hmm. the night and yeah. your transport? Oh, you know, only 20 fennecs for one trip with the tram or with the bus. And for these 20 fennecs, you can go from south to north or from east to west. It, it doesn't matter how many stations you go. Inside Berlin, mm -hmm. inside the city yeah. of Berlin. And um, then suppose you, after the theatre, you decided to go for a few beers, went to, say, to, to where the students congregate. How much would that mm. be? <laughs> for me only two or three mugs because <laughs> I, I always drink only one or two beers but other people would need five mugs <laughs> so uh, you could say for a very good night out you 20 mugs would be more marks. than enough yeah really we mm. like to go to the concert hall we do not prefer theatre and I think we we are going about one time per month we are going to the concert hall uh we like sports. Then we looked, uh, we watched television. Not so much, but if if we have no guests, if we are not going to friends, if we are not going to concerts or other things, we are watching television. No, I think though, three, two or three hours per day. Television watching is probably the chief national pastime. The GDR has more TV sets per head of population than France. Three out of four of the almost 17 million inhabitants are estimated to watch West German television nightly. It is said that the two German states are united after a fashion in front of their television sets at night. Klaus Wilczynski is diplomatic correspondent of the daily Berliner Zeitung. In Berlin you can get five TV programmes, in some parts six, two of them being our own programs, three being Western, and the additional one are uh, TV stations from the various uh, uh, occupying powers in West Berlin, French program, for instance, I can get where I live. People, uh, of course, make use of this opportunity. That's true enough. It does create problems, and it does not create problems. It does not create pro problems as long as Western TV keeps to the job of being Western TV. That is to say, of a medium which is meant for, cons uh, for consumers in the West. It does create problems, and it does create uh, political and bilateral problems the moment it does a job which is meant to influence people here in a way which in the end is meant to bring people up against the government here. And that, unfortunately, is being done in quite a number of programs. And this is where the problems crop up. But as far as pol political stability of the GDR is concerned, I think it takes more 
than three Western TV stations to rock the political stability of this country. People are mature. They can read and write. They can watch. They know where they live. They know what life is like here. So uh, I think this is the sort. It is, of course, a negative political influence, no doubt. But it is the sort of negative influence we do live with and can live with. But what effect does the advertising of high-quality consumer goods on West German TV have on the East Germans? Norbert Stein of the political monthly Horizont. Yes, they have uh, a quite influence. Uh, maybe because uh, first uh, our television has no advertisement uh, at all. Uh, because uh, our uh, television has decided uh, that it is not necessary to make it, uh, because the uh, mode of financiation is another uh, in our country. Uh, but uh, to answer your question, I think, uh, yes, of course, there uh, may be such an influence, and uh, especially on, on younger people, because uh, it is a very... Uh, a sophisticated way uh, uh, to uh, uh, to come to the mind of the young people uh, uh, with such kind of advertisement and uh, uh, it may be uh, in sometimes it is specially directed uh, on our uh, young people uh, to uh, create uh, new needs uh, which maybe we are uh, not uh, in the situation now uh, to fulfill. Uh -huh. uh, I, right. think, I think, I mean, we're a socialist society, that's true, but we're consumers too and people want to consume and part of our government policy, and this is a very important incision in GDR policy, uh, which came about uh, uh, 10 years ago. Uh, we found out that the way to build up a stable socialist society and uh, rich and uh, rich in all, all respects, rich society is, of course, that people do want to consume. They want high-class consumer goods. And our industry is geared to produce that sort of stuff and uh, if you've read the uh, latest publications which have just come out these days about the uh, latest plenary session of the Central Committee of the uh, main party mm -hmm. in this country, the Socialist Unity Party, you will find that the accent is on high-class consumer goods and production. But we're not, of course, not a, <laughs> not a consumer society. That's true. We're a socialist society. And one more sentence. Um, these commercial programs... I think the danger of commercial programs is that they give an un they, they show you an unreal world. People who do nothing else but almost fly along beaches, doing all sorts of wonderful things except work. People who drive luxury cars at high speed, women with long hair in the wind, sun, palm trees, but that's not the real world. That's neither the real world here, nor is it the real world in the West. But some people think the world looks like that. So much for material matters. What of the relationship between the majority Lutheran Church and the government of the GDR? Dr. Günther Grosche is suffragan bishop of Berlin. Coming out of the 50s, 
where we had a hard confrontation between state and church coming out of bad experiences in past and coming out of the Marxist ideology against our church. We can now say that in the given situation uh, we have a new quality of relationship between uh, the Marxist state and um, the church in GDR. Um, there uh, has grown a distinct uh, trust, um, so to say. Um, we are very clear about the question of ideology. There is a formula um, stated by the Socialist Party, namely, there is no uh, coexistence in ideologies. And the same is true uh, from the standpoint of the church, as to be a Christian and to be a convinced Marxist is an excluding uh, point of view. There's strict separation between church and state. The church is for religious beliefs. The state is for government politics, for governing the country. Uh, there is no church tax. Uh, anyone who belongs to a church, of course, pays a tax, but he doesn't pay to the government. He pays to his particular church. But in spite of uh, oh, another uh, important thing, religious instruction is not spa a part of the school curriculum. This is a job of the churches, and it is outside school hours. Otherwise, you're quite free to practice, of course, as was already said. Um, but I must add that, there, uh, of course, there are uh, many examples and instances where the churches are being supported by government money. For instance, in the reconstruction of church buildings and that sort of thing. So in spite of separation, where state interests and religious interests meet uh, the government will also sometimes uh, uh, get some money for uh, religious institutions. We have found out ways of cooperation and kind of practical coexistence, not in terms of ideology, but in terms of cooperation um, uh, with regard to the welfare of all people. And um, we have formulated our relationship uh, against our government and state authorities as a critical solidarity, so to say, or in another way formulated um, um, critical and constructive cooperation. That means we are willing to cooperate uh, as far as uh, the welfare of all people is concerned. Freedom and peace are the words one sees most frequently on posters in the GDR. Inside the state, one finds differing perceptions of what the words really mean. The official peace movement is government-backed and has a clear, unequivocal message. In our country, the policy of the state is peace policy and there's no contradiction. So I think that in our socialist state and in all the other socialist states, everyday work is the biggest contribution everyone can do and must do in order to maintain peace. 
Do you think that there should be more contact between peace movements in various countries? Yes, I think that this is very important because the danger of a nuclear war affects the life of all the people, of all the people in the world, despite certain differences they have in political views, in religious views, and so on. So this unity of the peace movement of the whole world is really of main importance. Well, there is uh, fear among the people of war. There is a great danger of uh, nuclear war. And I think uh, that we need every effort to, um, to fight against mm. and to look for some possibilities to keep the peace. I consider it as very important, and this question was raised lots of times. I think it is necessary here in our country to explain young people where the threat uh, of a war comes from and what one can do and what one has to do in a socialist country in order to fight for peace. And I think that this is important in your country, in capitalist countries as well, to explain where does the danger of the war come from. And it is now the most important, the main important thing to fight against the deployment of nuclear missiles in Western Europe. But what is the church's attitude to peace? Dr. Grosche. We are, you can say, in one line with our government. But when it comes uh, to the question of peace groups living here in this society, and they are coming to church and asking for rooms and space, we take them saying, we are in favor of your engagement for peace. Although we have understood that there are tensions between their approach and our government's approach, these peace groups have more and more a, a pacifistic uh, approach, um, and many of them lay claim to have the right to uh, conscientious objection, um, so uh, they sometimes become imprisoned and the church is then standing for them and saying their witness comes out of a Christian concern. And with respect to these questions, we have some uh, hard discussions and sometimes tensions uh, between church and government. One of the major achievements of the government of the GDR is its success in collective farming, a system which is still causing major problems in other socialist states. Klaus Wyszynski. One notion which uh, you frequently hear in uh, Western European countries, the land is not owned by the farmers. That's not true. The farmers are owners of their land, but they work it and own it now collectively. Secondly, uh, what I think has to be explained is this is an overwhelmingly industrial country. The main part of our uh, GNP comes from industry, and farming is only a small section of the economy. We have pretty bad soil in most parts of this country. In spite of this, this tiny agriculture is in a position to 
cover fully our own demand in meat, milk and milk products, eggs, and uh, the majority, the main part of uh, 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 cereals, as far as it is grain for human consumption, we have to import grain for feeding purposes. I think that is quite an achievement and shows that this agriculture works. It works effectively. And if you come around and have a look at the villages, you'll find it's a highly modern, highly mechanized uh, farming uh, up to the latest standards in all respects, uh, animal breeding as well as uh, in the uh, work in the fields. It's all mechanical, all modern machinery. And uh, another thing you will notice immediately coming to any village, the farmers are very well-to-do people. They, are, uh, they earn their money. They're masters of their own fortune. They make their own plans within the general uh, central planning, of course, does exist in this country, but they decide what to grow, how to grow it. They sell it to the government. They can sell uh, privately too as a cooperative and as individuals, and they make a lot of money that way. You see, in our country, we have cooperative farms with more than 10,000 hectares. The work is efficiency when you use machines in complex. Complex, it means you get or you have on the field more than five machines. All machines are calculated on the size of of the field. In Ireland, the smaller farms, about 20 acres, 30 acres or 50 to 50 acres, they are not necessary to use this type of organization or in technology like in our country. Awareness of Ireland is not confined to agriculture, nor is it confined to the unrest in Northern Ireland, although that is widely and thoroughly covered in the media. However, books on Ireland are rare, and students in the Humboldt University are at present compiling a book under the supervision of one of their lecturers, which will be used as a textbook on Ireland in the schools. The work is subdivided. Uh, one girl is dealing with the situation of uh, families in the Republic of Ireland, and one girl uh, with the political interest of the young people in the Republic. And I myself, I work on... Uh, the measures of the British government concerning Northern Ireland on the situation there uh, concerning all this violence and the IRA uh, actions and things like that. Another boy is writing in some kind of a history of the IRA. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And you all are working under the supervision of Dr. Holger Steger. Steger, yeah. He's so, our tutor. Hmm? And he assigns you the subjects and then he yeah. examines your work as well. Yeah, as well. Uh, every time we finish the work on one chapter, he'll read this chapter and give his advice. Tell me, uh, in your own case now, uh, how easy or how difficult was it for you to, um, get, um, to get sources for mm -hmm. information? Uh, the first introduction was done by Dr. Stegert. 
He gave us detailed information about the history of the Republic and of Northern Ireland. And then we got material, mainly from British sources, but of course this is not neutral, as we say. But I myself, I have enough material. Other uh, students are reading the newspapers, all the years of the newspapers at that time they are dealing with. And I myself, I have also material from the Communist Party of Ireland and some organizations in the north, for instance, the Northern Ireland Civil Rights Association. The material for this programme was recorded with the cooperation of the Foreign Ministry of the GDR in conjunction with the International Press Centre in Berlin. It is essentially a view of the GDR from within, with a minimum of warts on display. The problems mentioned are not the only ones to be found, but neither are all the achievements of this young state charted. Relations with the other German state of the West are developing in a friendlier, more positive direction in the recent past, but speculation on their future would be both premature and futile. We leave the last word on the achievements and future of the German Democratic Republic to Klaus Lischinski of the Berliner Zeitung. This is for the first time in history that a German state has been created which is peace-loving, which is not endangering the security of any of its neighbours, a Germany which will never be an aggressor against any country in the world, a Germany without racism, nationalism and all these ugly things which have uh, played such a destructive uh, part in too much of our history. The second achievement, and that is the reason why the one that I mentioned first is possible, is this is for the first time in German history that we've created a German state where the working people, those people who create everything that we need to live, that we need for human existence, the first German state where these people have the power. And I think uh, another achievement is that... Uh, this part of Germany, which uh, apart uh, from uh, Berlin and the southern part uh, was an underdeveloped part of uh, the whole of Germany, has become a highly successful industrial nation, which is amongst the leading group. I, uh, lots of people argue about what place we have. Let's say we're in the leading group. Uh, we have a high standard of living. We've had stable prices for all necessities of life, like food, rent, energy, fares, to name the main parts. They're still on the level that they were 20 years ago. Uh, energy is still on the level it was before the war. I think that's unique in the world. Mm -hmm. So the costs of living are quite acceptable. The earnings are pretty high and people can afford a good standard of life. I think that's quite, quite some achievements for 35 years. We're not satisfied yet. We want to live a lot better than we do now. But uh, looking back, I think we've covered uh, a lot of ground.